Welcome to Writer's Digest Presents. Hosted by the editors of Writer's Digest, this monthly podcast features conversations with writing and publishing experts whose insights will help ignite your creative vision, hone your skills, build your platform, and get your work out into the world. Welcome to Writer's Digest Presents. I'm Editor-in-Chief Amy Jones, alongside Senior Editor Robert Lee Brewer, Managing Editor Mariah Richard, and Editor Michael Woodson. It seems like everywhere you look these days, there's a new retelling of a classic myth or story or even fan fiction about newer stories. So this is our topic for this month's podcast, retellings and fan fiction. And I'm very excited to talk about this because I have thoughts. <laughs> hey, everyone. Hey. hey. Hello. So I guess the first thing we should talk about is why we're pairing retellings and fan fiction. Do you think of them as related or two separate things? Um, I personally think of them as two branches of the same tree. Um, and I always say, like, what is the Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller, <laughs> if not slash fan fiction that she's, like, legally allowed to make money off of? <laughs> um, but, like, all jokes aside, like, for me, fan fiction at its core is when you look at a piece of media and you say, like, I really see another story here that could be told. And... Like, isn't that what authors do when they're retelling something that's already well-known? Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. And I love that you mentioned Song of Achilles because I also, Cersei came to mind immediately. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I was like, well, is, that, is that like a, because then there's like this th possible third branch of like, there's retellings, there's fan fictions, and then there's reimaginings. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like all things, I think that sometimes retellings and fan fiction are related and sometimes they're totally different and I think that for me maybe the I don't have a lot of experience in fan fiction but I have read a lot of retellings and I think that one of the biggest differences to me is that retellings um, for them to be successful have to have beats that feel familiar whereas fan fiction kind of like Mariah said a lot of times are just inspired from you know, it is a branch of a story that's already been told that hasn't been explored yet. And so there's just a lot more opportunity and um, a lot of creativity behind fan fiction, where retelling feels kind of very um, like genre fiction to me, where it has a certain um, structure that has to follow in order to be considered successful. Yeah, and a lot of times retellings, it feels like they're, they're taking the, the original core story and they're saying, like, what if instead of this, what if that? And, uh, you know, it's like sometimes fan fiction can kind of do that, too. But mm -hmm. a lot of times I feel like fan fiction and I might be completely wrong, like Mariah's our fan fiction expert <laughs> on the team. But uh, it feels like a lot of times fan fiction is like exploring uh, previously unexplored areas, whereas like retellings is like, we already have like this area, but we want to like kind of twist stuff around it another way and, and see what, what it looks like on the other side. Right. I think that's where, where I was thinking about the difference between fan fiction and retellings. I feel like to do a retelling, you have to be a fan in order to mm. like to appreciate the nuances of that story and 
like Michael said, hit those beats that um, that perhaps readers are expecting from a from a retelling of a story they already know. Whereas the fan fiction, which admittedly I don't read a lot of, or I mean, I guess I don't really search it out online at all. <laughs> um, I imagine that as being, um, like Mariah said, you imagine this story has more to explore characters that or scenarios that aren't in the original that you want to create on your own as sort of a, um, I don't know, I don't want to say as like a thank you to the original story, but, you know, it seems like an appreciation if you're willing to go into that world and explore it in other ways. And very community-based is my understanding. Fan fiction is. Yeah, and I would say that like, a lot of fan fiction, um, at least the fan fiction that like I personally interact with, is also like born out of like anger or disappointment in a media. Oh. Um, so like that is a genre called fix it fix. Oh, love that. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's um, a lot of it for me is like if I have been queer baited by a piece yeah. of media. Mm. Um, it gives me a space to be like, you know, screw you guys. I'm going to pair this couple the way that you promised me they would be paired and then revoked that. Um, or like there's a there's a really big push right now in the Stranger Things um, fandom where like a lot of people really connected with one of the characters from this most recent season who was killed off. And so the the fix it fic is like, what if that character wasn't actually dead? Or like, mm. what if um, I just read one actually earlier this week where it was like, what if they thought that character was a ghost, but it turned out that they weren't a ghost. They were like in limbo between the right side up and the upside down. Um, so it's. It is a really interesting dynamic in these fandoms where like, you know, sometimes people are just writing because they really love it and they don't want it to mm -hmm. be over. Um, and sometimes they're writing it because <laughs> uh, like if you go into the the BBC Sherlock fandom, oh, there's a lot of fix it fix <laughs> in that <laughs> fandom <laughs> just because of the way that the series ended. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mariah, I'm so glad that you like mentioned this fix it fic because I like genuinely had no idea that was a thing. Um, but that is such a fascinating um, use of writing to correct things that you were disappointed by. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. It is. And it's it's always really neat to see somebody um, who was like really unhappy with something but still really loved it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like take it and like put love and care into mm -hmm. it. Um, and like for a long time as like a queer person, it was therapeutic for me mm -hmm. to read these works by other people and to be like, it wasn't just me reading into the fact that like like in the supernatural fandom, we were always told like Dean and Cass, they, they aren't in love. They're, you're reading too much into it. And then you go online and it's like, well, 
obviously I'm not the only one (laughs) because there's thousands and thousands and thousands of writers who are agreeing with me that there's Mm -hmm. subtext here. And I don't need the show to confirm that for me because these writers are giving me a space to, to feel these feelings by myself. (laughs) That's so cool. You know, I had never thought about like, So this kind of connects to our next question, which is, do you read a lot of fan fiction or retellings, one more than the other? And as I mentioned, I don't really read fan fiction, but like Michael, I do read a lot of retellings. But I'm trying to think about something that I, some sort of media that I love enough that I would want to read fan fiction about. Mm. And literally the only thing I can think of is The West Wing. Oh, I love that. (laughs) That's but great. like now I have no idea if fan fiction about that exists. I I'm, have I'm to sure imagine it that it does. does <laughs> but... it, yes, it, it probably does. <laughs> probably does. Yeah. But see, like with that show, there was such a there was a divide between episode, uh, seasons four and five where the writing team switched, and there were some there were quite a f- large number of people who were disappointed with yeah. the way the character the arcs of the characters from season five on. So I could imagine those kind of people, you know, yeah. reimagining those character arcs starting with the end of season four. Um, anyway. I just want to say that I hopped over to <laughs> one of my websites that I read fan fiction on. Uh-huh. And just for the West Wing, there are currently 11,890 works in English that you can All read. right. Well... <laughs> I was going to take tomorrow off to read a book, but. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To answer your question, though, Amy, yeah, I have not, I I, I honestly have not read fan fiction for real since college. And I read it, uh, I was, I was introduced to it through class, through like writing classes for this reason to explore like what we're able to bring to a story that already exists for any number of reasons. And also as we were also tasked with writing certain fan fictions, um, which I'll get into later um, Mm -hmm. as sort of a writing exercise. But other than that, I have, I don't read a lot of fan fiction, but I have read a ton of retellings and it's a real mixed bag, Mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes I'm like, wow, this is maybe better than the thing it's inspired by. (laughs) And other times I'm like, they didn't even read a synopsis of the thing that they're writing about. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's my answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, or they follow it so closely. Then what's the point? What's the point? Yeah. It's like the, it's like the live action Lion King. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I, I think I probably fall in the, like, I really have not, I've probably, read about as much fan fiction as Amy and maybe less than Amy. Maybe I'm the lowest person on the fan fiction uh, reading side, uh, but like everyone else, like it's, it's hard to read and not come across retellings. Um, mm-hmm. And like Michael said, like some of them are better than the original or, or feel like they're in that same level and, you know, other ones are are disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I read a lot of fan fiction. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I also write it, so I think that there's like a good balance there. Um, like like Michael had said, it's very community based. Um, so there are a lot of people who just go and read, um, but a lot like 
I would say most of the people I interact with in these spaces both read and write it. Um, and it's so funny because like for this job, we have to read all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so sometimes my spouse and I will have a conversation where I'm like, Oh, I just like, I'm feeling really burnt out. Like I have just Mm. been doing like so much reading for work. And then like five minutes later, I'm like scrolling, reading fan fiction on my phone. And he's like, how is it not the same? And, um, the way that I can kind of like describe it is that like fan fiction provides me a different sort of reading structure mm-hmm. because I'm going into it. I don't need to learn the characters. I already know their backstories. Like there are just like, there's so much history that I'm coming into it with that um, I don't have to like process any of that. I don't have to get to know these people. <laughs> Um, even if, uh, I, I really love alternate universe fix, which, mm-hmm. um, are typically called AUs. So like, um, you know, you take the cast of, let's say supernatural, um, and now they're like working, there's, there's nothing supernatural about their world and their mechanics and poets, and they're all living in the same college town. How are you going to have them meet? Like, is there going to be romance? Is there going to be drama? Like, but I already know the characters. So even if you take away everything that kind of made the show what it was, I'm still coming into it with certain expectations. Mm -hmm. And that's comforting to me and doesn't require the same kind of brain power as diving into like a whole new world does. Um, So oddly, like... I really thought about it for this recording. I don't think I read too many retellings um, that are like more traditionally published. And I think the reason is that I'm just like extremely picky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if I if I really love something, um, then I tend not to seek out retellings of that. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't like it. I tend Why not to care enough. Yeah, yes, like, absolutely. Like I, I know that um, like Shakespeare retellings are mm-hmm. super popular, but like I just—is this an unpopular opinion? I just don't like Shakespeare enough to like care yes. to read retellings of his work. <laughs> I. Love that you say that because that unlocked something in me in, in why I don't um, why I have a statement and a question for everyone, possibly just for, for Mariah. But uh, if if I loved something enough, I am not interested in reading someone's fan fiction about it. Not because it's not going to be good, but because like I loved that thing so much, I don't want hmm. that to be uh, get messed up in my head at all mm-hmm. with like what is canon versus what is someone's imagining of what could happen. Um, and I never thought about it in those terms. And I was like, well, I guess that's why, like, if I loved it, I'm just going to read that again. But my question is, as we're talking about this, I'm realizing, and I don't know if this is called fan fiction, that's why I'm asking, people write, I guess it is fan fiction about not even anything, like, about, like, celebrities and, like, pop stars. And, like, mm-hmm. is that called fan fiction? Yes, that is a subset of fan fiction called RPF or real person fiction. Okay. Um, I 
do not read those. They yeah. make me like personally uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, like I'm, I'm okay with certain things. Like, sorry, I keep going back to Supernatural, but like <laughs> that's a good example. There's um, a lot of fan fiction about Supernatural, and there is, and there's um, there's some really great like play. So there's a certain episode in Supernatural where um, Dean and his brother Sam are catapulted into an alternate universe in which like they are the actors who play them. Oh. And they are like, everybody is like, oh, you know, Jensen and Jared. And they're acting as Dan and uh, Dean and Sam on the show Supernatural. <laughs> and there's nothing supernatural in this world. And they're trying to figure out how to get home. So a lot of people have kind of like taken that and they're like, what if, um, you know, these characters were actors and um, so it's like, I'm okay with that kind of thing where like, okay, so you're taking a fictional character and you're kind of like tailoring the actor's real life into that character's sure. backstory. Um, but to like read um, like, fictionalized versions of real people is like, especially real people who are like currently living. Yeah. Um, that's where things can get um, a little bit muddled because like you don't want to, or at least I don't feel comfortable um, with the idea of like, I don't know. It's, it's almost like a fetishization, I guess is what. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm, I can be a fan of somebody and like right. not want to like think about what their like romantic life yeah. is like, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, yeah, there's, there's more separation between a fictional person and a real person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it is interesting because like I am comfortable with um, like if, I don't know if you guys saw on Netflix, the film, um, The Pale Blue Eye, which... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I- yeah, it's yeah. it was like very much about um, like Edgar Allan Poe mm. and um, his work and everything, and like I'm I'm cool with like watching movies where Edgar Allan Poe is a character. Yeah. Um, but he's not alive, totally. and we're not like putting him in this kind of weird spotlight, analyzing what his life is like, or like imagining what he's like as a person outside of his like celebrity persona um so i guess yeah i've, I've never really thought about it that way before yeah. but that's a it whole, up a area. whole yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a deep can of worms yeah. it is because i'm thinking about like so even you know like the crown show on netflix yeah. mm-hmm. makes me totally. feel weird because most of these people are still alive or like there was a novel years and years ago. I can't remember um, when it came out, but it, it was a, about princess Diana. Like if her life had a different ending and like, I felt I read it because I love the author. I mm-hmm. read something else she had done and I just loved it. And, um, but when I was reading it, I was like, this feels weird. Her kids are alive. They could mm-hmm. read this. I feel odd about it. Um, That's a great so example Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. the crown especially because they are 
they are very particular in being like not we are never like I am obsessed with the crown I think it's one of the best shows ever created but I also think that like you have to watch it understanding that this is an interpretation of the facts and they try really hard to like the creators to make that clear but the royal family is so embedded into our like um just like the society that like modern society that it's hard for us to separate like what we know happened with what mm-hmm. what the pieces that they are creating to put that together and mm-hmm. you're right a lot of people are like this feels too real too many mm-hmm. of them are still around and it's affecting them it's a good example yeah. i never thought about that yeah well it's funny the more that we talk about this the more i start thinking about even historical fiction like yeah. when does it start to turn into almost like a retelling because you have like by necessity you have to make things up that mm-hmm. while you're connecting the different points that everyone agrees on so so it is it's i didn't think that that's where my brain would go during this conversation but but it's uh that's probably something I'm going to be thinking about for a while. Yep. Now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is something else that I want to ask you guys that just popped in my head. But like, would we consider true crime to be a sort of retelling? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Interesting. Like, it's hard because it's like when you're. I, I this is becoming like really. I, I feel like I feel like a Westworld robot malfunctioning right now because like I can't. All of this is true, and yet I also know that it's different. Like they are. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yes, probably, but also as a consumer of these things, I know that what I'm watching is a fictionalization of something that happened versus like um, a documentary or mm-hmm. or a something that was like. Um, this is a bad example, but Rocket Man was created in part with Elton John to tell his the truest per- version of his story possible. So it's like it's a little bit consent. Like, do these people do they have a say in it? And if they don't, how much of this is creative liberties? Which is like I don't think is uh, inherently anything wrong with, but sometimes it can feel pretty icky. Mm-hmm. You know, I read zero true crime. I tried to read one. And it just is not my thing. Um, But kind of like The Crown, I did try to watch a TV show that is Mm. based on a true crime. And it had Colin Firth in it. And I was like, of course, I will watch Colin Firth. Naturally, yes. (laughs) But again, it was the same feeling where these so many of these people are still alive and their lives are still affected by this. And I feel gross watching it. So I'm going to turn it off. And I didn't um, finish it the staircase yes but mm. that reminded me of i don't remember what's called pam and tommy yeah oh yeah definitely like, that makes me pamela anderson was like <laughs> vocally like i don't support this this isn't the truth and it, it that feels disgusting like like that mm-hmm. feels like um exploitative versus something that's done in in good taste mm-hmm. yeah anyway i don't like <laughs> i feel really like i feel like i, I feel like I'm split in half right now. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I do want to make it clear that like, I'm not trying to like bash people who totally. like read or write RPF sure. fanfic or like really love these genres. Um, I just think it's like, it's really interesting the way that 
Um, and we've talked about it on this podcast before about how, like, in our industry, the attempt to, like, put genres in boxes mm -hmm. is, like, it's not so simple and neat, right? Mm -hmm. Like, when, when do you start... Um, like distancing, like what is specifically a retelling and what is a reimagining? Totally. Um, well, which is yeah. something that we did discuss with Tiffany D. Jackson. Yeah. In our book club episode, where we we talked with her about the weight of blood. Yeah. This is exactly where I was going to go next, going like the opposite direction from mm. you know those like fan fiction or real pe fiction about real people to the the reimaginings or the one the stories that are like an homage to an older mm -hmm. story and perhaps it's not even billed as a retelling or a reimagining but you know you just um this one of my favorite books is like this saturday by ian McEwen is oh, yeah. like an homage to mrs dalloway the virginia wolf book takes place in 24 hours in london um <clears throat> follows different characters around, is connected to a critique on war, obviously different time period. But like when I first picked up that book, I did not know it was going to be connected to Mrs. Dalloway at all. Mm -hmm. It was just as I was reading it, I thought, this makes me feel a similar way. This feels like Mrs. Dalloway. This has little hints of the setup of Mrs. Dalloway. Um, and of course, come to find out, like later on, there were papers written about it and all of this. But I think that's a another kind of retelling that I particularly mm -hmm. enjoy, and it's harder for me to find those now because of the publicity emails that we get. And I feel like retellings are or reimaginings are a great marketing hook because, mm -hmm. like, built-in audience. Um, but I love it when I'm surprised by a book that I'm reading and it's got those little surprise like illusions too. Yeah. Easter eggs. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that kind of leads into another question, which is, are there specific things that writers need to think about when writing retellings or fan fiction or imagining reimaginings things that readers will expect when they are reading this kind of writing. And the first thing for me, so you all can think about it for a minute, is I love Pride and Prejudice re retellings. Yeah. Set in different countries, different time periods, different pairings of um, people and genders, and that is my jam. <laughs> I've read so many of those, and it, for me, it all comes down to that feeling of... Um, like there, there are certain moments in that book where I felt a certain way mm -hmm. and that's what I look forward to in the retellings. Um, particularly like that scene where Darcy expresses his feelings for Lizzie and it's inelegant and rude, mm -hmm. but there's <laughs> that like heightened emotion in that scene that makes me feel a certain way. And I, I love finding books that replicate that. Pride and Prejudice is a great example because there are so many of them and it just goes to show like if you've got the idea and you um, like respect the original text, like you'll have the audience um, 
and I've read a ton of Pride and Prejudice. I think it's a great example because I think Pride and Prejudice is one that could be all three. I think there's probably a lot of fan fiction about Pride and Prejudice. I've read a ton of retellings. And then the reimagining side of it, I think, is maybe um, like Death Comes to Pemberley, uh, mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Like that's uh, more like um, a reimagining of what is already there versus modernizing the source material. I think what writers need to think about is, oh God, that's a really hard question because I do think you have to have, I don't know if you have to have reverence for the original, but you have to have a understanding of it. Like, I don't think you have to have particularly liked it because I read a um, retelling of The Great Gatsby called No One Is Coming to Save Us, I believe, years ago. And the she retold it because she didn't like The Great Gatsby and she wanted to um, make it more of an inclusive story. Um, and I found that fascinating because I was like, I can't imagine spending time writing, retelling a book that I didn't like. But I do think that that is, um, is a more difficult task. So I think just like maybe having the right intentions going into it um and and studying the original yeah i think that's really important is just to to have that understanding uh even if it is uh i forget the term you use mariah like a fix it type of uh retailing because uh you know you kind of have to understand you know like what what was actually happening what what what's going on just for for people who because uh, cause in a way, like, I, I would think you'd want to try to win over some of the people who actually mm-hmm. did like it um, and say, like, like, you know, I understand what it was, but this is how I think, like, it's better told or or, or another, another way to uh, come at it, uh, even if you're not thinking of it in terms of, like, whether it's better or worse or anything like that. Um, so yeah I, th- I think definitely like that's that's important it's just like having that real understanding and knowing what what the author was about what what the text was about i guess a lot of times you don't really know what the author is about unless they say it and even then you can interpret it mm-hmm. wrong but uh, like at times like i feel like with this conversation in particular like the philosophy side of my head is just like kind of mm-hmm. exploding Right. right. <laughs> but but yeah. Yeah, I think um I I have to come at this answer two ways because that's how my brain wants to organize this. Um so I think for a retelling, um I have to answer like just from my perspective as a reader, um which is like I really approach a retelling, like reading a retelling from a character's perspective. So I need to go into this text either knowing that you really love this character and it's going to be the same character I remember, just maybe in a different situation, or you are going to completely change my mind about this character. Um, So I think like a a good example, or maybe the only example I can reach for right now is... um, like all of these retellings that are happening about like Disney villains. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm okay with coming to this 
this Cruella DeVille movie, knowing that it's going to be a different character than mm. I've known before. Um, but if I like jump into the retelling expecting it's going to be the same character mm -hmm. and then it's not, that's when for me as a reader, things get kind of tricky. Um, but it's different for me with reimaginings. Um, so I think that the Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval is a really great example of this. Um, so I am a person who can appreciate what like Lovecraft has done for the literary canon um, without liking him as a person. Totally. I don't really love reading his work. I just, <laughs> it's just really not my thing. Um, but I have a spouse who like very much um, can like appreciate the work itself and really enjoy reading it. And also um, like, be very open about how problematic it is. Um, so he was the one who got me to read Ballad of Black Tom and Victor Laval is an author I really love and respect. So I knew going into it, I was in good hands, right? Yeah. But um, that is a reimagining of one of the most like racist Lovecraft works, um, which is the horror of Red Hook. But Victor Laval is reimagining that story from the perspective of a black man. So like going into it, I had kind of like no expectations. Um, and I was like, he is going to be engaging with the work directly, like the, that original work and interrogating it and having a conversation with it. And I'm kind of along for that conversation. And I think that's something that reimaginings can do more mm -hmm. easily than retellings. Mm -hmm. Um, which is why, like, I really appreciated our conversation with Tiffany D. Jackson because, at, like, I now view The Weight of Blood more as a reimagining than a retelling. And I think it does um, something similar for Carrie that, um, like, The Ballad of Black Tom did for The Horror of Red Hook, where mm -hmm. it is more of a conversation um, between those two works, but it also you can read it without having known Carrie and it still stands on its own. Yeah. I had not read Carrie, but I loved, well, I still have not read Carrie, but love the weight of blood. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a great story. And as you were talking about that, um, the uh, Victor Lavelle book, what kept popping in my head was wide sargasso see the Jean Reese book as a response to, or <clears throat> filling out the empty parts of Jane Eyre in that, mm. uh, you know, particular character. So what about the writing of fan fiction or retellings? Do you do, I mean, Mariah, I think maybe you said that you did some, you do some uh, fan, you write some fan fiction and Michael, you did some in college for an exercise. Um, and like, what do you see as the are there benefits for writers to try writing retellings or fan fictions, even if it's not a thing that would like in initially interest them? Um, yeah, I guess I'll kick us off here. <laughs> um, so I do get into this a little bit later in the podcast, um, but I, I do want to say like for me personally, 
Um, the benefits of writing fan fiction are um, number one, that I can do it anonymously while yeah. still getting a lot of like feedback from the community. Um, and it also provides me a kind of like a sandbox to, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. develop different writing skills. Um, so I use it a lot when it comes to um, world building and like trying out different things um, because I'll get feedback. If it doesn't work, people will let me know. Um, and if it does work, then I know exactly what people are enjoying about um, this kind of like experimental stuff I'm doing. And um, it also just provides like a like a structure for understanding character because if you get the character wrong, um, that's going to be a big problem. <laughs> There's actually like terminology for mm-hmm. it. Um, that like OOC, if you ever see that in these spaces, it means out of character. Mm-hmm. Really loved the writing style, but this was deaf OOC. You do mm-hmm. not want that <laughs> comment on your fic. <laughs> um, unless you say up front, like, hey, I'm doing something really different with this character. Right. Let me know if that's working. Um so it it does provide like a a softer space, I guess, than other kinds of writing groups I've been a part of because I can get that feedback and it's not so personal because it's not my really original content that I'm working with. Totally. Yeah, in school I, there was one uh, instance where we were um, assigned to write fan fiction and the other one I would say we were assigned to write um, a retelling and the fan fiction one was in a course that um, revolved around popular fiction and we were asked to sort of um, pick out a piece in these books that had uh, like made us think like well what what happened after that and one it just made us very close readers because we were like actively looking for something that wasn't there and then we were assigned to then imagine 10 years after the story takes place something about that what was significant to you about that how would that play out later and um it helped me just imagine characters as real people because I had to see them off of the page and like what did happen what how would they have um like uh survived this instance um and in that way just helped me connect with characters more which is i think just a important thing for all writers to be able to do with the retelling i was in a class that was specifically about how time passes in fiction and one of the um books we were assigned was the hunger games which i thought was genius because like takeaway genre writing style like time is very particularly important in those books and you can learn a lot about passing time in reading those books and uh we were asked to take a character and rewrite the first chapter from a different character's perspective because it Katniss is it's a very close first person book so it's like how do you do that and um so I just reimagined the first uh chapter from her mom's perspective who is like in two scenes in the entire series Mm -hmm. and it was just such a great exercise in like um structure like I was like because uh writing prompts don't really help me but if I think about it in this 
way. Like if there's a chapter of a book that already exists and I'm like stuck, I have intense writer's block, I should just go to that and then reimagine and rewrite that chapter from a different person's perspective in the book. Um, so I think it, that really helped me um, unlock my creativity and just helped me get out of writer's block. So I think it I just as a writing exercise, even if it doesn't go anywhere, I think uh, examining the stories that you already love from a different perspective helps. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of writing that we do, or, or maybe it's just me, but um, I think a, a lot of writers do writing that's got like a purpose when you start the writing. But then there's a lot of writing where you may or may not have a purpose when, when mm -hmm. you start the writing. And I feel like looking back on um, the few times where I have done like any type of fan fiction, uh, it's been more for just that creative outlet. Um, and I think personally, the few times that I've done fan fiction, it's actually been collaborative projects. Mm -hmm. So like in college, I remember, uh, with a roommate, we were like, writing a script for, you know, this imaginary Batman movie that's going to be the best Batman movie ever. Totally. Um, and, <laughs> uh, you know, and that was like a lot of fun because we get to, you know, just really like imagine and, and, you know, we would cast in our collaboratively, like who's playing which roles. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And then with my children, I think every single one of my kids, we, we've wrote, written uh, fan fiction books by, uh, taking like eight by 11 pieces of paper, folding them over and turning them into little booklets and basically based off of what each of the kids likes, um, writing fan fiction, which means we have a lot of Godzilla books, yeah. but, but other types <laughs> too. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and those are just, they're fun. It's a creative way, uh, you know, to just, to just, uh, write, but then, I totally wasn't thinking of it in, in these terms, but the first payday I ever got for writing a piece of fiction in, was in college. And it was uh, taking uh, as a retelling of, of Hamlet. Whereas like in Hamlet, like the, the whole joke is that it takes an entire five act play for Hamlet to finally get revenge on somebody that he knows killed his dad and stole his mom. Uh, so I was like, well, what if you like flip that around and like made it like instantaneous? And like, I, so I ended up like writing a retelling of Hamlet, but instead it's like this act of uh, road rage. So it's like <laughs> wow. instantaneous, like the person gets their revenge right away. Uh, so, so, so like retellings are like kind of like fun in that way where you can look at what's going on and like, what if we just like completely like twisted this some way? And, and that mm -hmm. was a, a lot of, a lot of fun as well. Have you read um, Nutshell by Ian McEwan? No. Okay, that's his reimagining of Hamlet, and Hamlet in that play is a fetus. Oh, I had no idea. I even yeah. remember when the book coming out, and I was like, this sounds wild. It's a weird book. I had book. no idea that that was a Hamlet retelling. Yeah. I've been dying um, to read that. Okay. Yeah. Check that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to go back to, so first of all, Robert, I love the idea of what you've done with your children, the, yeah, 
the Godzilla books like as an activity. That's so smart. Um, Michael, what you said about using like writing this, using this as a, a, a writing exercise to practice something. That's how I have not written fan fiction that I can remember. If I did, it has left my mind. Um, <laughs> it must have been 20 years ago or something. But what ha- what I've tossed around in my head as something that I would love to do is um, reimagine or you re- retell like... To the Lighthouse, the Virginia oh. Woolf novel, um, with a you know a similar practice. Use that as a way of um, cont- use uh, the structure of that book mm-hmm. because there's the first section which is before the war, the middle section called Time Passes, which is years of the war, and then the final section is after the war, the Great War. So I would love to um, use that as a structure for a different story i think that would be you know because structure is something that i have trouble with Mm. um the other one that i've because i think virginia wolf does such interesting things with um narrative with the waves um and this would be what i think would be fun to explore character is how she passes the narrative from person to person in that story so there are six main characters and Instead of like this chapter belongs to this person and this chapter belongs to the next person, um, when the characters interact, at some point the narrative shifts from the first person to this from the first character to the second character, and then that person will have an interaction with somebody and it will shift to that third the third character. But it's never a it's almost it's seamless the I way it happens. That. It's like a baton pass in in like a relay race or something where you really have to be paying attention to mm-hmm. how it ha- to what you're reading to see it happen and watch how it happens. And I would love to use that as a, like explore that tool um, in, in the same way. So I think that's where I would have fun with trying retellings and writing that way. That's a interesting point in terms of like, even like structure and like, writing style because I love that about a lot of classic books like I'm reading Maurice by Ian Forster right now and that happens a lot where there's like no um sequitur just Mm -hmm. it's mostly in Maurice's perspective but then suddenly it's not and then (laughs) that I love that Mm -hmm. there's something like magical about that for some reason Mm -hmm. and um immediately when you said that um I guess the contemporary wise like I don't know if everyone's read Little Fires Everywhere but she um Celestine kind of does that in that book which is like one of my favorite things about it is that like the perspective just flows so beautifully in and out of different characters and that is I love the idea like using a structure as a reimagining not just like Mm -hmm. what the story is about but like how books can be written I will say like Personally, outside of fan fiction, I have never been drawn to writing like a retelling or Mm. reimagining. But the only way I could see myself really wanting to do it, this this might be so silly, but um, as a teenager, I really loved The Catcher in the Rye. And then I, I met my spouse when we were 18 
And that was one of the first like fights we ever had. We were friends at the time, but like he <laughs> hates that book, like with a burning, fiery passion. <laughs> um, and over the years, like we have gone back and forth about whether or not it's a good book. And so if I ever were to rewrite, like to retell a story, I think I would try and make my spouse love Holden Caulfield. <laughs> <laughs> like I that would be my goal with the whole story is just like I don't know how I would approach it but like I want to retell this this story in a way that like you will like oh, <laughs> you Mariah? this specific person in my life <laughs> you know we've talked about this this is a hill I will die on is yep. that the catch on the right is a good book and they schools make us read it way too young mm. read it again as an adult you will have a different perspective and I guess like that's like the thing that always really cracked me up is like, I am a big proponent of like, you cannot like a book, but appreciate yeah. that it's a good book. Good for you. Um, and that is not how he feels about this book. He thinks that this is just like an like objectively terrible novel that like somehow everyone has been brainwashed to to think it's good so that would be, I think that would be the only way that I would ever um like truly try and do a yeah, to win an argument to win an argument yeah absolutely petty. yeah <laughs> there is a there is a retelling that I think is terrible like not just not for me but terrible that I will tell all of you after we're after we're done recording. Okay. <laughs> okay well on that note let's turn to our final question which is favorite books that are retellings or reimaginings or um if that's not your thing i guess favorite fan fiction <laughs> <laughs> um i'll say th well one thing is a is i have three books and then one that i think is actually a great um movie retelling that would be great to study if you want to do retellings is clueless mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. is like a perfect mm -hmm. retelling of Jane Austen's Emma because it has everything that we're saying it has it loves the original characters and understands them it has beats that people who've read Emma will recognize mm -hmm. and an arc that people will recognize but it just modernizes it and makes it well from the 90s uh, modernizes it um, is I think one of the best reimaginings that I've ever seen which is different than an adaptation where you're just like the newest Emma is an adaptation mm. um, but Books, three favorite books. Okay. Um, Sex and Vanity by Kevin Kwan is a retelling of A Room with a View by E.M. Forrester. And I am shocked that I loved it as much as I did. I I think it is like a really lovely like romp of a book that is um, takes like, tr it is truly a retelling. I mean, and I didn't know that going into it. As I read it, I was like, this is A Room with a View. And then I read the back. <laughs> cover and it's a retelling of a room with view um but that's one where sometimes i'm like do i like this more than the original like mm. i had way more fun reading that than i did reading a room with a view um the second one is pride by eb Zaboy. it's a really lovely ya retelling of pride and prejudice and then this book called boy snowbird by helen oyayemi which is a like loose reimagining of um like the Snow White story. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested in reimaginings and retellings, Helen Oyayemi writes the wildest books, um, but they're really fun to read. 
I will second your Kevin Kwan sex and vanity recommendation. Um, So I, I went back through my reading lists from the last couple of years because like, I don't read a ton of retellings. Um, But there were three that like, as soon as I saw them on my list, I was like, yes, of course. Um, And so the first one Um, I think I read it last year. It's Ravenous Things by Derek Chow. And it is a middle grade retelling of the Pied Piper. Hmm. Um, But done in like a really like fun, interesting way that discusses grief. Um, Which like, how do you make a discussion of grief fun? Like you have, you have to read this book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and the, the second was Lost in the Neverwoods by Aidan Thomas, which is a YA retelling of Peter Pan. Mm. Um, and then, like, I know earlier in the podcast, I said, I don't like Shakespeare. I don't read Shakespeare retellings. But there is always an exception to the rule. Of course. So um, that exception for me is Ben and Beatrice by Catalina Gamara, um, which is a new adult romance retelling of Much Ado About Nothing. I love Much Ado About Nothing. And that like that book to me is just utter perfection. Like whether or not you like know the source material or like vibe with it, like you should just read that book because it's just from top to bottom a fantastic read. Yeah, and I should have made a list before this and did not because i was like oh i'll just be able to think of i'll be able to write off like three or four um (laughs) so i'm probably forgetting like my top two or three but the one that i i totally feel confident in mentioning this one i've actually mentioned it previously in our our romance podcast is uh, the bridget jones diary by helen fielding Mm -hmm. uh it's classic uh Mm -hmm. you know like i i don't know if i would ever like call it a a literary book but it's a book like that i can read multiple times and enjoy it it's just a lot of fun to be in bridget jones head and uh and once again it's i feel like this is like we should almost have pride and prejudice as like a little subtitle on this because we keep bringing it up but it it, it is a retelling of uh pride and prejudice and and it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of fun and um uh one that I also enjoyed, but I don't know if I would read it again, is A Thousand Acres by Jane Smiley, which is a retelling of um, Shakespeare's King Lear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and just like kind of uh, that that one also, it, it was a good read, but it's also, it's a little bit more, it's a little more literary, so it's a little more dense. But uh, for one that I can always go back to, Bridget Jones Diary. Um, yeah. Final answer for right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in keeping with the Pride and Prejudice theme, (laughs) one of the ones that I brought (laughs) is um, Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors by Sonali Dev. And she has retold, um, I think, three of the three Jane Austen books, Incense and Sensibility, and then another one is The Emma Project. And um, I just love her writing, and I love these retellings. And in true, like... uh, romance form the characters in one book make an appearance in the other book and you know you follow different characters so they're interconnected in a way that the original jane austen books are not and i find that a lot of fun and then i already mentioned saturday if you um like the way mrs dalloway works um 
Saturday is great. And it, uh, it takes place in 2003 on a day when there was a protest in London, Trafalgar Square against the war in Iraq. So fun little political uh, angle there as well. And my last one is a reimagining. I talked to Sylvia Moreno-Garcia last year for the magazine about this book um, that she released in 2022, The Daughter of Dr. Moreau, which is a um, a super smart, so layered reimagining of The Island of Dr. Moreau, which I had not read until I read it in preparation for reading this. And mm-hmm. um, like I haven't read... Mariah, you were talking about um, the Victor Lavelle reimagining or retelling, um, was it H.G. Wells? Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Yeah. This is, I hadn't read H.G. Wells, but it was uncomfortable in a similar way that I imagine Lovecraft is, um, mm-hmm. pretty racist. And this, um, this, like I said, was is just so smart and um, multi-layered and offers commentary on the situations um, of the time period where it's set and that are um, that are in the island of Dr. Moreau. So I would uh, highly recommend that one as well. All right. Well, this takes us to the end of the first part of this podcast. <laughs> we do have a second part where uh, Moriah talks to fan fiction writer Spoons. And in that, if you are curious about where you can go to find um, fan fiction to read online, they do talk about um, some places where you can um, find that. Hey everyone, this is Managing Editor Mariah Richard, and I have the privilege of sitting down today with Spoon, a fanfiction author who has written over 300 fanfics for various fandoms, and who happens to be one of my personal favorite fanfic authors of all time. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today, Spoon. Thank you for having me. Um, So before we dive into our discussion on fanfiction writing, I kind of wanted to catch our audience up on why this topic is so important to me. Um, If you guys have been listening for a while, you'll know that like I've talked about fan fiction writing and how much I love it (laughs) Um, (laughs) on and off. And I've also posted a bunch of articles on the Writer's Digest blog, if you guys are ever curious. Um, But I got into reading fan fiction, um, I want to say like right as I was leaving undergrad so like 2015 2016 um because a friend told me like i know you're really into this show and if you go to this website you'll find a whole bunch of stories that people have written um and i just became like a rabid reader (laughs) (laughs) and eventually like after reading like so much fan fiction i was kind of like i could do this too And um, it was funny because I was in my MFA program for fiction writing at the time and I was struggling and I was miserable because I was writing for deadlines, you know, and um, fanfic became a way that I could like really tap into that creative energy and it didn't feel like a struggle. And 
I wasn't writing for a grade. I wasn't trying to think about how um, like literary quote unquote my work was. Um, I was just doing it for the pure joy of doing it and not worrying about like grammar and typos. And and since then, like I have been writing um, fanfic off and on and still just like if I'm not reading on my Kindle, I'm reading fanfic on my phone. Like (laughs) it is a a true joy for me. Um, So do you want to tell our audience a little bit about your journey into fanfic writing? Well, I think I kind of always did that a little bit. Like even when I was, you know, seven, eight years old, I would read a book and if I didn't like the ending or if I wanted to know more about a different character, I would write something of my own in my little notebook. And that's just kind of always how I engaged with stories, I think. Mm. Um, As far as like fan fiction, the fan fiction writing community, I really started getting into it probably um, my freshman year of college, which was like well before the modern fanfic community, AO3, any of that. Um, Mm -hmm. This was about probably 2004, I guess. Um, And I think it was for... uh, uh, one of the Stargate shows, I started reading a bunch of fanfic for that. And then I was like, wait, I could do this and started writing. I love that. Like, I mean, I think that's true for all writers. Like we start out as readers first. Yeah, definitely. Right? Um, and then we kind of think, you know, I, I think I could do this too. <laughs> yeah. I want my own story. Right. Um, so I guess this kind of leads me into the first question I wanted to ask you. Like, um, there are just so many fanfic writers, like it's kind of mind boggling at times. Definitely. Um, but like, why do you think so many people, um, are attracted to this style of writing? Well, I think, I think a lot of us start out, um, like you did, like I did just wanting to spend more time in these worlds and with these characters and, in some cases, see them in situations that you wouldn't see them with in the original show or the original book. Um, I think that um, for me, at least, and I think a lot of people my age and older, um, there was not as much uh, queer representation in mainstream media as there is now. So it was an opportunity to see ourselves reflected in that and to write about ourselves and see ourselves in these characters that we already knew and loved. And it's just, it's a really great community of, of writers and readers. And you get to talk to other people who are just as invested in these shows and characters as you are and get people to interact with your writing in this really like close and friendly way that I don't think you really get anywhere else. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, Funny enough, like, the other day, I received a comment on something that I had, like, it's a fic I've abandoned for like three years. I have not mm-hmm. even gone back and looked at it. Um, <laughs> but somebody posted a comment and it was a very lovely, like, it doesn't seem like you're ever going to get back to this, but I really enjoyed your work and I subscribed just in case. <laughs> just in case, yeah. <laughs> And a little part of my brain that like really loves that validation is like, oh crap, maybe I should go back <laughs> and just at least finish that story. Right. 
Um, but just those, like, sometimes I'll get a, a comment that's just, like, completely incomprehensible gibberish because it's just, like, <laughs> pure, like, joy and excitement. Um, yes, the joyful key smash. Yes, and that really... Um, that is a type of feedback that I, I never experienced like in a classroom setting or in like a, a writer's circle um, where I feel like there is um, not less joy. I don't want to say that it's less joyful to um, like work with writers who are not in fandom spaces. It's a little but, more restrained maybe. Yeah, and I think that part of it is just like the mutual obsession with these <laughs> stories and these characters. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Um, so I, I did want to touch a little bit on, um, you know, I think there is a stigma against fan fiction writing um, and how it's like, quote unquote, like not professional writing or like you if you only write fan fiction you shouldn't tell people that you're a writer (laughs) Um, so I I wanted to get your perspective on on that kind of thinking and why we think that um there is that stigma in in the writing community well I mean I think some of it is just kind of your standard like look at these weird nerds with their weird nerd hobbies you know Mm. um I do think there is a big stigma, not just in the writing community, but I think in our culture in general about um, doing certain kinds of art, making certain kinds of art, writing. um, If you're not going to produce a professional quality, marketable product at the end of it, it's like, why are you doing this? Especially why are you doing this in public where other people can see, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I... I guess I find that kind of silly personally. I think that you can quibble over whether you not or not you can call yourself an author if you're not published. That seems like, okay, that's a line. But if you're writing something, you are a writer by definition. Absolutely. And I think like what I really wish that people who don't read fan fiction would understand is like how interesting and experimental you can be with fan fiction in these spaces in a way that is um i feel like maybe in certain literary spaces it's starting to to move that way um but there is a a particular um fanfic that like i will never get over (laughs) and um it was for the the um new it films um okay and it was a reddit thread yes yep i know that one (laughs) yes and like the whole story was just this reddit thread but comments yeah yeah and and i thought like first of all how much freaking time it took to (laughs) to structure the story in this way and also like just how amazingly it worked And I would never have thought in a million years to structure a story in that way. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely, I definitely agree. And I think that's something um, 
like I said earlier that my first kind of foray into fandom was Stargate. And Mm -hmm. um, there's this fairly well-known piece of fanfic from, God, it's probably at least 15 years old now. Um, It's called Written by the Victors. And it's an entire novel length piece of fic that is just academic articles and interviews and back and forth between people disagreeing about what actually happened in, in the story. And it's very like metatextual and experimental. And I don't really see that very much in published fiction. I, I'm not sure that it lends itself to that kind of thing as well. I mean, I've, I guess I have seen a few pieces of fiction like that, but certainly never, nothing that's novel length and nothing that kind of went that far afield of your normal narrative structure. Right. And I think, um, like, speaking of structure, something that um, it seems like is more, is gaining more popularity maybe online is the the flash fiction. Yeah. Um, and I just think, like, my first experience with flash and um, especially with, like, the Drabble um has been fan fiction and it seems like this is something that the community has been doing for much longer than um you know now you see whole literary magazines are based around this this structure this style of writing yeah no i definitely first encountered that in fanfic the drabble especially like that kind of specific challenge of writing something that is a hundred words exactly and containing entire story within that and I think that I think fan fiction, one of the things that makes it that gives it that flexibility is that you're not really constrained by um, the specific length of a story. Like I think most published fiction, especially professionally published fiction, you like you have a novel, it's going to be whatever, 80,000 words. You have a novella, it's got to be 40,000 words. Most short fiction has a specific length requirements and fanfic doesn't really have that restriction. You can, can kind of just write whatever you want, however much you want, and finish when the story's over. And I think that, um, like, leading into my next question was going to be, like, why is fan fiction useful for, like, people starting out writing and, like, people who consider themselves to be professional writers? Um, But, like, something that I personally started noticing is that when I was writing for these fandoms whose like characters are already established. People are very familiar with them and people are very particular oh, yeah. <laughs> about the way that you portray these characters. Um, it really helped me to hone my characterization when it came to like my original content. Yeah, I would, I would, that was actually one of the things that I was going to say is I, I do think that it's, it's really good it's a really good way to learn character writing because as you say, people are very, have, they are attached to this specific character <laughs> and they are very particular about how you write that specific character. And you can see the many debates and arguments we have in fandom about it. Um, but, you know, you have to, if you're, if you're trying to reproduce this character, you have to reproduce the way they speak, the way they move through the world, the way they are going to react to a given situation, especially when you're writing them in something outside of, the original canon where they exist. Like if you're writing somebody who's in a post-apocalyptic survivor show and you're writing them working in a coffee shop, like how do you make this person recognizable as the same character? 
And I think that, it, yeah, I, I would agree that it really hones your ability to write character. Yeah, other than characterization, is there anything that you've noticed um, that, like, writing fanfic has, um, like, changed your perspective on when it comes to um, the way that you approach, like, the next project that you do? Yeah, and I do write some original fiction. Um, I don't really publish it anywhere, but um, I think that one thing specifically that fandom does is, like, it's incredibly self-indulgent. Like we, I don't remember who, who originally came up with this idea, but there's something called the id vortex, right? Where you're, you're writing a story that is just the most indulgent thing. You want to put everything you love in the story because it's for you and it's for your community and you're not trying to sell it. It's just, but you still need to make it a story. You need to make it work. So I think it teaches you how to kind of harness that, like just absolutely joyful, gleeful, like I'm going to do everything I want in this story, but then you need to make it work as a story. Absolutely. And I think that's helped me a lot with like, just kind of being less embarrassed about what I was writing. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, and I guess my next question is, um, well, it's not really a question, <laughs> but uh, a lot of fan fiction writers, um, even myself, um, work a lot under pen names. Um, and I feel like to me, like using the pen name was a way to, um, kind of protect myself from the like culture of feedback that I was experiencing, particularly in my MFA program. Um, and it, it gave me more confidence um, when I was posting because I wasn't super worried about, um, like, you know, if, if somebody says something about my work, it has nothing to do with me because they Mm -hmm. don't know anything about me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, so is that why you think a lot of fanfic writers do, um, kind of like protect their identities and write under these pen names? Um, I think that's definitely part of it. I think there are, you know, practical considerations. Like I write a lot of erotica and I don't necessarily want that being the first thing that turns up when somebody Googles my real name. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that just having that kind of, that, that sense of distance from your real life identity. And there's also the fact that, you know, it signals that you're writing fan fiction as part of the fanfic community. You're writing it within the specific setting. You're not necessarily putting it out for consumption beyond that community. And I think that that helps protect your identity and it helps protect your, um, I don't know, ability to just kind of indulge and write what you want and not worry about how people are responding to you. Absolutely. And I think that it's something that's so prevalent in the community that like, like you can make friends and not ever know their like <laughs> real names. Yeah. Right, like what's going on um, in their like quote unquote real life, because, yeah. you know, you're still coming together to enjoy something that that you both really love. Um, and you can make genuine connections that way as well. Yeah, I mean, I have, I definitely have um, fandom friends that I've known for 10 plus years, and I do not know their real names or really much of anything about their lives outside of this community. But we still talk all the time, so. (laughs) 
Um, oh, and I, I did want to mention that um, something else that I know about um, writers, especially now that I've been working at Writers Digest, is that um, a lot of people who are traditionally published and who have like larger um, fandoms around their like original content mm-hmm. use pen names as a way to like stay joyful and still write the kind of fan fiction that they want to write without um like that kind of cross-pollination like i don't want you to come here and read my work just because you because i'm well known yeah 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 where they're like you know i i really want to just stay like getting the the kind of joy and feedback and celebration of this specific community um yeah without having the you know you're only following my fanfic because i wrote this well-known published book absolutely and i do feel like i've seen it more and more in the fanfic writers that i follow where like they will say something like hey guys just general announcement like posts are going to be slow because i'm like putting more time and energy into this like original project that I'm yeah. really hoping to get done. And then just like an explosion of celebration in the comments of like, you know, we totally understand, like can't wait to to hear about, you know, where you're at with your project and, and good luck. Yeah, it's a very um, supportive community, I think. It is. And not to say that it doesn't have its... Issues, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, but I think like, especially... Um, like with the the comment section and everything, like if you get a negative review and it's nasty, you can just delete it. Yeah, well, and it's it's really not like people do it, of course, but it's not considered you know acceptable behavior generally right. speaking. And I feel like um, other commenters will often come out of the woodwork to be like, "Hey, Excuse that's not you. really what we yeah. do here." <laughs> If you have a problem with this fic, stop reading it. Like, yeah, <laughs> don't like, don't read. Right. <laughs> um, but for anyone who's listening who um, is maybe interested in engaging in these communities or, or starting to um, write their own fan fiction, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what kind of platforms you have found that work particularly well for you. Um, well, there's uh, AO3, of course, Archive of Our Own, which is kind of the big one, um, which is where I post the vast majority of my fic. Um, I like it because it's a nonprofit, which is important to me. I am really not into the whole commercialization of fandom that happens on some of the other platforms. Um, there's, there's a lot of uh, activity on Tumblr as well. I know mm-hmm. a lot of people exclusively post on Tumblr or, or do a lot of their fandom engagement there. Uh, Twitter as well, uh, it's kind of hit or miss. It kind of depends on the fandom. Some of them are incredibly active on Twitter and some are just like not really there at all. And I mean, I got into fandom on live journal and message boards, but that's less of a thing now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think when when I first started reading fanfic, um, it was fanfic.net. 
Fanfic.net. Yep. They're still around. I haven't used it in a long time, but I had an old account there at some point. Yeah. And and I never killed my account there, but I think for me, the issue um, with both like a reader and a writer was um, like the structure of the website itself. I didn't feel like it was ever um, like very easy to read. Uh, yeah and I, I well, it's don't... hard to find anything that yeah. you really want to and I don't know if that's just like my my neurodivergent brain was just like this is not a pleasant experience I don't want to be here <laughs> <laughs> um but AO3 has uh it gives you a lot of control over like the formatting and the way that um like your work appears on the website right which um has been really pleasant for me as a writer um, but also just like, I, I agree that like the, um, the way that the AO3 community is and the way that the website is run and, um, generally everything about it is just like much easier. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. My one complaint is that they don't have a, an app for your phone. <laughs> um, there is that, that yeah. That's just a personal little sticking point. Um, but I will say that uh, for me, Tumblr was really where um, I had been posting to AO3, but to interact with people and like if you're really looking to make those connections, yeah. um, Tumblr was really good for me. And maybe that's also um, the fandoms that I'm specifically in are like yeah. very active on Tumblr. Um, so like I know... If anyone has been listening to me speak in any capacity for any amount of time, you'll know that like Nora Sokovic's The Foxhole Court series is like my all-time favorite book series. (laughs) And there's a very active um, All for the Game uh, fandom on on Tumblr. Um, And also like Supernatural is one that just like... Supernatural, yep. It it will. I don't think my love for die will ever die. Um, so that's uh, that's basically what I use Twitter for is just like keeping up with the SPN family. And like, <laughs> um, oh man! And you never really leave. You get in there, you never leave. Yep, and that's like it's 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 so it's easy on Twitter because I can just see what's happening and I don't necessarily have to engage if I don't want to. Right. <laughs> Um, sometimes the best choice <laughs> yeah like it, it depends on what fandom you're in I, I hope right. somebody out there is laughing because they understand that the <laughs> SPN fandom is its own animal <laughs> it is it really is <laughs> um, and then of course like just in case anybody's interested my current like really hot obsession is with uh, the TV show 911 yes um, <laughs> so that's that's where it's been at for me. Um, and so I'm very much just enjoying. I haven't yet written for that fandom. Um, well, that's not true. I've written it. I haven't posted anything, right. I should say. Um, but it's just like the thing about fan fiction is that like I have, you know, I, I go through cycles of like I really miss my um, Star Trek readings and you know people are still writing star trek fan fiction and there's always something new to discover and to fall in love with and then you've got like ongoing 
um, media, like book series or, or television series that are currently coming out. And those are always super hot. <laughs> <laughs> so like people are always posting, um, like, you know, after a season finale, you can expect a An flood. explosion. Yes. Yeah. Um, and even things like this, this just occurred to me to mention, um, like people will get together and do like writing challenges. Yep. And they'll be yeah, like, you know, at this week, we're all going to be writing for this particular fandom. And as a reader, I'm like, I'm going to mark that on my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I can expect that at this time, there's going to be just like a flood of new media for for me to engage with. Yeah, and that's that's basically all the time that we have for today. Um, but I just want to thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. Um, I hope that if you're a writer out there um, and you weren't really familiar with fan fiction or the people who write it, that this conversation um, might have opened your eyes a little bit to to just how important this kind of writing is for a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, stay tuned for the end of our episode where Amy will have our usual writing challenge for you. For this episode's writing prompt, pick a story that you love or, now that we've talked about this a little bit more, that you were disappointed with and consider how you could write a retelling or fan fiction or fix-it fiction about it. What are the elements of the story that draw you in that you would want to replicate or emulate or do the opposite and fix it? Even if you don't actually want to write a retelling or fan fiction, perhaps doing something as simple as creating a scene or a character might be an exercise that could offer surprising results in your own writing. Thanks for listening to Writer's Digest Presents. We're going to take a brief hiatus for the month of May. And in the meantime, you can always find us at writersdigest.com and on social media at Writer's Digest. See you next time.